can go ahead and open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be preaching from that. If you don't have your Bible, that's all right. It'll be up here on the Sky Bible. And once you get to 2 Timothy chapter 3, you can go ahead and flip back a, a little ways and get to Matthew chapter 22, and we'll, we'll be talking about that passage as well. While you're turning there in your Bibles, um, I want to tell a story about a guy named Joe Thayer. The story of Joe Thayer, this is a story that actually had a huge impact on my life and continues really to have an impact, but it started in first grade for me. Joe Thayer was a kid in school in first grade. And um, for whatever reason, and I got to tell you, everybody, that to this day, I can't tell you why this happened. But in first grade, going to school with Joe Thayer, um, Joe Thayer became the kid that was picked on. He was ostracized. I mean, we were brutal. We were brutal. Uh, we would make fun of the way that Joe Thayer dressed. We would make fun of what Joe Thayer brought for lunch to school. We would make fun of how Joe Thayer's hair was cut. I mean, we were brutal. Joe Thayer had no friends. Joe Thayer was separated. Joe Thayer sat by himself um, all the time. And that continued into second grade. So, I mean, right at the end of the summer, for summer break between first and second grade, and we didn't miss a beat. We go to second grade, and man, we continue to ostracize and to pick on Joe Thayer. It was terrible. I look back on it, and uh, it's, hard to, it's hard for me to even think about how mean we were to Joe Thayer. And then one day, Joe Thayer didn't show up for school. And I'm going to tell you the rest of the story here in just a little bit. <clears throat> so, 1 Timothy, oh, we're going to... We're going to talk today about who do you love? Who do you love? Sounds like a rock and roll song, doesn't it? That's the word that God has given me to preach this morning. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, let's read from verses 1 through about the first half of 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will, be, well, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. So I want to talk here for just a second about this passage that so clearly refers to lovers of self. Now, the Bible tells us that, um, that we don't hate our own bodies. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, the Word says, that we actually nourish and treasure our bodies, so our own, our own flesh. And the Bible also implies that there is some value imparted to us as believers, because we love others as we love ourselves. So there's an equivalency there 
So the implication is we love ourselves, but this is not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about something completely different, something that really raises itself up beyond God and out from under God. Paul is talking about people here, the lovers of, of, of themselves that, that step out of the will of God. They no longer say God's will, but they begin to go into that mindset of I will or my will. In many ways, it reminds me of, of what uh, Isaiah described in chapter 14 when he talked about Lucifer saying, I will set myself above the most high. I will exalt myself. And in a lot of ways, this is exactly what Paul is talking about here. It's really dangerous, at least from a, an eternal perspective, it's very dangerous. And as we look at this passage, you know, we can think about, um, we can think about the things that we're experiencing in our world today. I mean, you only have to participate in a few activities. You, you go to a sporting event, or you go shopping, or you get on social media. I don't, I don't do it, but you get on social media, and people are just downright mean in a lot of cases. They're inconsiderate. You know what the worst is for me? The worst is like parking lots. <laughs> I mean, you, I don't know how much you would have to pay me to go to HEB on, on a Wednesday before Thanksgiving. It would be a gob of money. Or you go to a parking lot at one of those trendy new malls, you know, or, you know shopping areas um, sometime during the Christmas season, and it's just devastating. I mean, it is, it is bad. You can see this whole thing about lovers of, of, of self coming out. The worst thing is sometimes you see that person that's driving around with a fish on their car, you know, what the heck's that all about? It's kind of like this. Would you just shut up, really? <laughs> but it's like this, and so it goes. You know, we, uh, we hear this. We hear this today. My stuff. My rules. My body. My identity. My life. My time. My opinion. My privacy. And even the worst. You know what the worst is? my God, where people begin to express God as a function of the attributes that they want to assign to the Most High God. I mean, that's just wrong-minded, isn't it? God says that my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. There is no way that our Most High God could ever be confined to the mind of a person. But people still try to do that. This is why Paul writes there at the bottom of that passage that in those days, people will be swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. This exact mindset is really beginning to serve to create division in our culture. 
And we see that at work every day now. I mean, there's a great divide. It's very difficult to engage people. But here's the thing. God is so good. God is so good that he's equipped us as believers with something that is the secret weapon in the war against division. You know what that is? His love. His love. His love is our secret weapon. We can embrace that. We can appropriate his love today, church. I want you to bow your heads. I just want to I just want to say a, a, a flash prayer. We'll kind of move on, but bow your heads with me. Uh, Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to gather in this place this morning, Father. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would search our hearts, and if there's any root of that unhealthy self-love, we thank you, Lord God, that you just take it away right now in the name of Jesus. Father God, help us, each and every one, to see the value that you have assigned to us to walk in the love that you have shown us, Father God. Help us to love each other the way that you've commanded us to love, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So before we go to the passage in, and talk about the, who we are supposed to love, um, and we go to the passage in Matthew 22, um, I just want to get back and circle back to the Joe Thayer story. Um, you know, in John's gospel, at the end of his life, as Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, um, he's explaining to his disciples in, in very great detail, it's a really wonderful passage in the scriptures, but he's explaining to his disciples that what he's getting ready to do. And one of the things that he says in, in John chapter 15, um, he tells his disciples, listen, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Because that's what he's getting ready to do. So I want to go back to the Joe Thayer story. <clears throat> so Joe Thayer doesn't show up in second grade, and uh, I have a teacher, and her name is Mrs. Green. And um, so Mrs. Green comes, and she leaves the classroom for a little while, and then she comes back to the class, and um, she gathers everybody. She gathers our attention. She stands in the front of the class, gathers our small class's attention, and she says, class, I just want to let you know something. Joe Thayer is not going to be coming back to school. And we're like, why? I mean, this is really going to remove a great deal of the pleasure that we have from going to school. You know, Joe ain't coming back. Who are we going to pick on? Um, she says that she told us that uh, Joe Thayer um, was out playing with his little brother, and his little brother actually ran out into the street and was sitting there, and a, a car was coming down the street. Um, I don't know, his little brother was two or three years old, and uh, Joe Thayer ran out into the street, scooped his brother out of the way, saved his brother's life, and uh, got hit by the car himself and, and died. And it was devastating for me uh, as a second grader to 
not only hear that, but to really understand the implications of that. I mean, first of all, you know, I, I look back on that story and I, I think I've got some questions, but I do have one answer. And one of the answers that I understand that I was given through that whole, that whole experience was, you know, even little kids can be mean and need Jesus. <laughs> no doubt about it. I mean, where'd that come from? I don't know. I don't know why we did what we did. But then I have, like, questions that I want to ask, and I'll never get the answers to some of these questions that I have because uh, there's really no way for me to find it out. But, you know, one of the questions that I have is, I wonder if I would have the level of love that Joe Thayer did to run out there and save my brother. I don't know the answer to that question, even now. The other question that I have is, you know, I wonder... Whatever happened to Joe Thayer's little brother? Really wonder about that, you know, because he had to grow up knowing the value that his brother had placed in him. And I wonder if that made him grow up to be something really, really special. You know, I really wonder that. He recognized, he had to recognize at some point that his brother really loved him. His brother saved him. So... Anyway, so that's the Joe Thayer story, kind of a downer, but it's illustrative of what uh, I'm trying to preach here today, so I wanted to tell you the story. It's part of what uh, helped to form me. <laughs> so anyway, let's go over here to Matthew 22, and we'll pick up in verse 36. I want to I kind of set the stage here. What's going on here in Matthew in, in chapter 22 is that... Um, the first, first, Jesus tells a parable, and then the Pharisees and the Sadducees are coming to Jesus, and they're kind of taking turns trying to catch him, uh, trying to question him in a way that would, would get him to get stirred up or to fall off course or whatever they wanted to do or to prove that he was wrong. Of course, that wasn't going to happen, but he addresses the Pharisees first, then he addresses the Sadducees with a question about the resurrection. And then a, another Pharisee comes at him, a lawyer. And uh, he asks him in, in verse 36, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The Talmud, which is uh, rabbinical writings, it's a, a rabbinical commentary on the Old Testament, actually says that Moses was given 613 laws. And the Talmud records that David reduced those to 11 laws in the Psalms, Psalm 15. Isaiah reduced those to just six, and then Micah reduced those to just three laws. And here we see Jesus, and he reduces all the law and the prophets to just two things. So first, what I want to do is I want to I take up and, and let's talk about 
the second one first, Jesus' commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves, and then we'll, we'll take a look at loving God. I want to engage in this exercise, and this might be uncomfortable for some of you, and, and if, it's, if it is, it's okay. But what I want you to do um, as you, I want you to all kind of just look around the room at each other. Just look around the room at each other, and it might be, you know, the person next to you might be your spouse or a family member, and I want you to look beyond that to somebody that maybe you don't even know. Um, and as you're looking about the room, I want you to kind of take this into consideration that everybody that you are looking at right now, everybody that you are looking at right now, beyond the shadow of a doubt, is loved by God. Loved by God. And everybody that you're looking at right now not only is loved by God, but there has been a tremendous value associated to each and every person that you're seeing because God values you so highly that he sent Jesus to restore a relationship between him and you. He did that. He did that. Tremendous value. So as we look at each other, we're looking at, at and, and also the Bible says that we're looking at the very image of God when we look at each other. Because we are created in his image. So we are supposed to love each other. And one of the things that happens, and it can't help but happen, but it does happen, and, and I want to talk about this a little bit, is that with the divisiveness that we see out there in the world sometimes begins to creep in here into this community that we call Generations Church, the community of believers. And we really need to, church, we really, and maybe this is not a problem for you, so I can be preaching to myself, but as we think about and we, and we consider the divisiveness that is out there and that we encounter, one of the things that we need to do is we need to make sure that as we come in here and as we engage and we fellowship with the, the people of God that you know, we're not bringing that divisiveness with us. So we need to love each other. We need to love each other. We need to be purposeful in our love for each other in this community. Romans 12, verses 9 and 10 say, says it like this as far as how do we love each other. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And I like the way that the New Living Translation puts it. It says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Isn't that cool? Take delight in honoring each other. Good words. This is a word that we can all embrace. You know, sometimes, church, we um, get into a situation where we're pursuing the latest big thing. Maybe we're pursuing the spiritual gifts. We're, we're pursuing the next conference or the next speaker or the next word. But what Paul writes in the love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, he says that if I do all of these things, if I give it all away but I don't have love, I'm like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And he says, it's all for nothing. 
if I don't have love. So one of the things that we need to do, you know, I'd love to see us operate in the spiritual gifts. I'd love to receive testimonies of people that were healed by the mighty power of the Holy Spirit, and we have those testimonies. But we need to walk in love here in this, in, in this community. When we looked around the room, um, we engaged in the exercise of, of looking at each other and understanding that God loves all of us and that God has redeemed and paid a price for each and every one of us. That, that we, it's a price that we can't even understand by sending his son. One of the things that I didn't point out is as we look around this room and we look at each other, one of the things that we're doing is we're looking literally into eternity. Each and every one of us is an eternal creation. And we need to keep this in mind as we leave this place and maybe we're not interacting with, with people that have received Jesus, but we're interacting with others and, the, and you know that they need Jesus. You know that they need Jesus. And you sit there and you go, man, I'm looking at it, somebody that's eternal. I know that they need Jesus, but this culture right now is so divisive. I am afraid. I'm afraid. I don't want to tell anybody what I'm all about. There's a risk to go out there and do this, to love your neighbor by sharing the good news of what Jesus has done for that neighbor. Scary, isn't it? Especially in today's environment. How do we do that? Well, I want to introduce you to uh, one of my new heroes. This guy's name is Daryl Davis. He's a blues piano man, a blues piano man, actually trained by Jerry, Jerry Lee Lewis. And Daryl Davis has got an interesting um, hobby, I guess you'd call it. I don't know, a, a vocation. Not only does he play the piano like crazy, and I've heard him play, but this is what he does in his spare time. <laughs> that, <laughs> I mean, is that the dichotomy right there? I mean, really. But love. But love. So <laughs> here's what Daryl does. Beginning back in, in about 83, Daryl was playing with a country and western band at a, uh, at a hotel lounge in Maryland. And a white guy came over to him and put his arm around him and said, man, I have never seen a guy your color play the piano like that. You play it like Jerry Lee Lewis. And Daryl says, well, man, uh, that's because Jerry Lee Lewis learned to play it from me, <laughs> you know. So that's why I'm rocking and rolling. And they began to talk. Well, it turns out that this guy that puts his arm around Daryl is a very high-ranking member of the Ku Klux Klan in Maryland. And Daryl couldn't understand, you know, what was going on here, but he decided, well, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with it. And he befriended this guy, this Ku Klux Klan member. As a matter of fact, it got so good, so good, the friendship, that uh, the gentleman that he met would go and tell his Klan brethren 
about the band whenever it would show up at this hotel lounge in Maryland, and he would bring all of his clan mates, one by one, with love. Daryl would sit down with these guys and befriend them and establish a common ground. Amazing story. To date, Daryl has claimed, this is what he calls it, he has claimed the hoods and gowns of 200 Klansmen that have renounced the Klan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 200, as a matter of fact, let me tell you, Daryl has been so good at befriending and getting the Klansmen to change their ways, change their ideology, change their beliefs, that um, he got the three top levels, I'm talking about the Imperial Dragon and two other titles, of the state of Maryland to lay down their, gown, to lay down their robes. He's been so effective that there is no longer a clan in Maryland at all, period. Yes. Just by befriending them, just by loving them, just by establishing a common ground, this is what he says. He says, I begin to chip away at their ideology because when two enemies are talking, they're not fighting. It's when the talking ceases that the ground becomes fertile for violence. If you spend five minutes with your worst enemy, it doesn't have to be about race, it can be about anything. You will find that you both have something in common. As you build upon those commonalities, you're forming a relationship, and as you build about that relationship, you're forming a friendship. That's what would happen. I didn't convert anybody. They saw the light and converted themselves. And this is the way that we can operate in the world as Christians, Christ followers. We need to go out there and we need to begin to establish friendships, relationships with those that need Jesus and we know that there is risk, could be risk associated with that relationship, could be some fear in terms of going into that relationship, but you know what? You are a vessel of God's love, and love, what does it say? Cast, perfect love casts out all fear. So, let's turn to loving God now. Every one of you here in this room were created um, to love God. Every one of you were created to, to love God. And God had to establish a value for that love. I mean, he could have commanded it, and we could have just been autom automatons and just, you know, he ordered us to love. And he does command us to love, but he assigned a choice to that love as well so that the value of love is established. Do you see that? I mean, as we give love, because we choose to love, there's value in that. So we can express our love to God in, very, in a lot of different ways, a lot of different ways. We can do it through worship like we did this morning. We can do it through uh, prayer. We can talk to, to God. We can do it by inviting God to participate in the big things and the little things in our lives. All of those things are valid ways. We can, 
love God by being obedient to what he's telling us to do. So there's a lot of ways for us to love God, but the thing is, is that sometimes, sometimes we forget to love God. We just forget. As a matter of fact, um, in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is dictating um, an epistle to the seven churches in Asia Minor, and the first church that he talks to is the church at Ephesus. And he says, Ephesus, the church at Ephesus actually comes out pretty good. Um, But he says to the church, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. So the church forgot to love God first. And that's a big deal. It's a big deal. So... I'm going to bring Shelby up here right now because I want to begin to close this message out. But um, my prayer is that every one of us in this room today, before we leave, we're going to take a step to reestablish that love for God, that love for God. Um, So in the late 80s, a guy that uh, I really have a lot of, um, I really like his music, a guy named Van Morrison, recorded an album. And on this album was this song. There were several songs that are very spiritual. As a matter of fact, he wrote this song as a prayer first. Um, And I've asked Shelby to to sing it for us. And then after he gets done, I'm going to come back up here and begin to close out this message about loving God. But I'm going to throw the words up on the screen to this song. And I'm not preaching the gospel from a Van Morrison song. Don't get me wrong. That's not what this is all about. But this is really a good statement of, of of what we need to do as far as loving God. So I'll let Shelby take it away.
Thank you, Shelby. <clears throat> so, those words are interesting to me, to say the least. Um, and as I read these words, I, I thought, you know, the kingdom of God is so awesome that God can command us to do things and those things that he command us, commands us to do, like love him, result in not only a good, restored relationship, but other things as well. Other things as well. This is just the kingdom of God at work. I looked at these, these, these words, and really what comes to mind as I look at this, I, I, my mind immediately shifted to this, the, the picture of, the end of the Gospel of John, John 21, where Peter and six of the other disciples are on the beach. And they've gone to the beach. They've gone to go fishing because Peter is just devastated. I mean, Jesus has died. And Peter has denied him, just like Jesus said he would. And I got to think that Peter says, man, I am out of here. This is bad news. I, I think Peter goes to the beach, and he's ashamed, and he's sad, and he's confused, and he's probably feeling really abandoned. He's probably thinking that God is angry at him. So Peter's there in his boat, and he's fishing, and somebody shows up on the beach and calls out to Peter and the others in the boat. And Peter sees that it's Jesus. And he jumps out of the boat. He can't contain himself. And he swims, and Jesus has got breakfast ready on the beach. And uh, at, the, at the end of this little scene, um, Jesus comes alongside Peter and begins to ask him, a series of questions and he says Peter do you love me and Peter answers in the affirmative and he does it again and Peter answers yes I do love you Lord and he asked him again and Peter is kind of probably at this point is getting kind of con concerned we don't know but he says yes Lord I do love you I love you and I think that what is going on here is that not only is Jesus reestablishing a relationship with Peter, but there's a relationship that is being, um, that, that is being solidified, reworked into something miraculous. And I think that as we in, in many ways, as we go before the Lord and we begin to tell him that we love him, I think that the Lord is going to begin to pour out into us healing, relational healing, maybe between him and us, maybe between us and others. I think that God is going to do miraculous things as we begin to say, yes, Lord, I love you. I think that there is going to be restoration in this house if we will just say, 
Lord, I love you. You are the first. Lord, I love you. So we're going to, I'm going to call the uh, worship team up here. We're going to sing a song, and we're going to declare um, that we love Jesus. And during that time that we spend declaring corporately that we love Jesus through song, I want God to begin, allow God to begin to work in you whatever restoration you have, you have need of today, because I know that God is going to do it. I had a dream last night as I was in preparation for this word. And I think this dream is for somebody in this place, so I'm going to just tell you. Um, I saw somebody that was living beside a pool, like a pond. And um, it was obvious that this pond re represented the, the, the water of life for this person, but it was stagnant, and it was polluted, and it was stinky, and, and there was no way that this person was going to even approach that pond. No way. No way. You wouldn't want to do it. It was bad. And then I saw this person begin to declare that they love God. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And automatically, I mean, and just transformationally, I saw the pond transformed into this nice, cool mountain stream that was just running down beside them. And it was amazing. It was amazing, the restoration that I saw there. And I think that this word is for somebody in this place. This is the reason I'm giving it. So we're going to sing this song. We're going to declare our love for Jesus. I want you to allow God to work restoration in whatever area as we declare this love for our love for Jesus. And at the end of this song, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come back up here and I'm going to close out this service. And the way I'm going to close out this service is I'm going to pray some scripture over us, some scripture over us. Um, that has to do with being rooted and grounded in God's love. So let's, let's, let's let God work in our lives now. Done, we will pour out our love. We'll 
will stay up here and we can continue to worship but just pray that let me pray this Ephesians 3 prayer I think there's power when we literally pray the word of God over ourselves because we're praying in accordance with his will his perfect will because it's the word so you can just bow your heads we bow our knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant us to be strengthened with power through his spirit, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work with us, in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Go love somebody. 